Hello and welcome to In Unison. I'm Zane Fiala. And I'm Giacomo G. Gregoli. And this is our podcast all about new choral music and the composers, conductors, choristers, and administrators who bring it to life. Let's start the show! Hello, and welcome to this mini-season of In Unison. For the next several episodes, we're partnering with Chorus America to bring you a sneak preview of what's coming up at the Chorus America Annual Conference being held this year in our hometown of San Francisco. We hope you'll enjoy this opportunity to get to know a bit more about the conference's speakers and their areas of expertise, and especially to get to know these folks on a personal level. We hope to see you in San Francisco for the Chorus America Conference, May 31st through June 2nd, 2023. More information is available at chorusamerica.org. And now, on to the show. On this episode of In Unison, we're catching up with Dr. Kirsten Hedegaard. Kirsten has enjoyed a varied career as a singer and conductor, has a special love for early music, and has appeared as a soloist and ensemble member with many notable groups across the country. Currently, Kirsten is Director of Choral and Vocal Activities at Loyola University, but she has conducted choirs and orchestras for various institutions during her career, including Eastman House, Chicago Children's Choir, Chicago Choral Artists, Northbrook Community Chorus, Gallery 37, Loyola Academy, and the University of California, Davis. Kirsten has been the conductor for the Bella Voce Outreach Program since 2001, and more recently has appeared as guest artistic director with the Bella Voce Camerata. As a co-founder of the EcoVoice Project and artistic director of the New Earth Ensemble, Kirsten is dedicated to bringing together musicians and artists to explore how the arts can support environmental action and education. Kirsten received her bachelor's degree from Northwestern University, her master's from UC Davis, where she was conducting assistant to Paul Hillier, and her DMA from the University of Illinois, where she studied choral and orchestral conducting with Andrew McGill and Donald Schleicher, respectively. Now, before we get into our conversation with Kirsten, let's listen to a performance under her direction. Here is Fire by Katerina Gimon, performed by the Loyola University Chamber Choir, directed by Kirsten Hedegaard. Thank <laughs> you. 
Our guest today on In Unison is Dr. Kirsten Hedegaard. Welcome to In Unison, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. And currently, Kirsten is serving as the Director of Choral and Vocal Activities at Loyola University in Chicago. And at the Chorus America Conference this year, she will be leading a session titled For the Good of the Earth, Choral Music and Eco-Activism. Now, of course, we'll chat a bit about that session during this conversation, but really, we hope to get to know Kirsten just a little bit better on a personal level. So, Giacomo, why don't you kick things off with a little icebreaker? I'd love to. Kirsten, you're currently in Chicago at Loyola, which uh, Zane just mentioned. No slouch of a city when it comes to restaurants and great food options. And Zane and I both love a great meal. You also were here in the Bay Area for a little while. Are there any places in San Francisco, restaurants or bars or any place you're excited to come back uh, to visit during the conference? Can we offer folks some recommendations? Or that you're really hopeful that they're still around? They're still around. I, I, it was, it's been a while since I lived in the Bay Area. So um, even if I remembered where I used to uh, eat when I was living there, I couldn't even say if they still existed. Um, I will say there is, there's fabulous Asian food all throughout San Francisco. Um, maybe you have some recommendations. Oh my gosh, the list is so long. But I would say, so I lived in Chicago for a couple of years as well. And when I was in Chicago, I really missed the Mexican food of the mission. And I really missed, like you just said, the really diverse Asian offerings. Is there anything like that where you're like, oh man, in Chicago, we just don't have it like they do? Um, You know, as you mentioned, Chicago is a fantastic food city. And Loyola happens to be connected to what some people call little... Uh, India. So there's a ton of fabulous Indian Pakistani food. Um, but I will say, um, even though there are some great uh, Asian restaurants in Chinatown, I still think the West Coast does that. So, I, I would agree. <laughs> there and have some delicious food. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember the Indian and Pakistani food in Chicago being particularly good. I have to go back to visit just for that, just for that. Um, what about some, maybe some sites or some uh, haunts, popular spots in, in the city or the Bay Area that you used to find yourself trying to decompress maybe after a, a long day of music making? And Well, this might be outside the reach of being in the city, but each time I have uh, come back to the West Coast, I always try to go north to see the great redwoods and sequoias i don't know if that's in the cards this time uh, but i certainly will be visiting golden gate park where i spent many afternoons back when i lived out that way um i also hope i have some time to visit the public library mm. which is a beautiful space um i spent quite a bit of time in the library and um also davies hall it's davies hall right um, yes. don't know if there'll be time to catch a concert or what the, what the schedule will be at that time, but those are some of my favorite spots. Amazing. Well, Kirsten, we're really excited for your session at the Chorus America Conference. And given your work with the Eco Voice Project, you'll be leading a session on choral music and eco-activism and how choral music informs, connects, and inspires people to act for environmentally just causes. 
So before we dive into that topic, we'd love to ask a few questions about your inspirations and what makes you such a sought-after choral leader, speaker, and music facilitator. Perhaps you can tell folks a little bit first about why you decided to found the EcoVoice Project. Well, that is um, somewhat of a long story, but I'll try to, to summarize it to, to, uh, so we have time for the other questions. Um, so I, my background is um, in, I would say, early music. So I studied with Paul Hillier for my master's years ago and um, have done a lot of performing with early music. And I would say that's still a great love of mine. But during my time at Loyola, um, I became involved with the School of Environmental Sustainability, first um, just as a one-off interdisciplinary opportunity performed for the climate conference. And um, after that, that first event, which was a little, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, um, we, were, we were invited in the subsequent years to perform at the climate conference. Um, so I was already looking for projects to put together with my partner, Sandra Kaufman in the dance department. Um, and uh, so I became interested in what composers were writing for this medium. And also just, I became more involved in that school. So I became more aware also of recent statistics. Um, I think we all know there's a great urgency, but just by engaging with um, that research more regularly, um, I became just on a personal level more alarmed and was considering what I might be able to do to contribute um, as a musician. And uh, four years ago, I went uh, back to school to finish my DMA and decided to write my dissertation on the subject, uh, more specifically the music of John Luther Adams, but also a, an annotated bibliography of some other major works written in this area. Um, and then a little over a year ago, uh, my friend and colleague Thomas Alayan, uh, who is doing similar work at University of Illinois Chicago, asked if I would be interested in getting together and taking this work further. And thus the EcoVoice project was born. Um, and I would say at the core is musical performance and uh, commissioning works, performing works in this medium, but also there's a wonderful experimental aspect to what we do, finding ways, finding new ways of exploring how music um, can be can play a role in this important conversation and activism. Can you say a little bit more about what that role might be that music plays? Well, um, I th I think that um, at its core, and we 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 try to focus our work on uh, how the voice participates in in this activism. So um, as a choral artist, um, I have been exploring choral works that bring people together. So um, it, just thinking about a, 
a performance opportunity. First, you have the gathering of the singers, maybe instrumentalists, and working together with a common theme. So I I like to think about this work for the from the participant side, but also for the audience side. So we know that the synergy of singing together is very powerful. And when you combine that with um, with beautifully written, well-crafted music that has thoughtful libretto or thoughtful poetry, um, that that alone is an important starting point. So the musicians, the artists themselves creating energy and synergy together. And from there, then you bring an audience together. I like to think of them as a captive audience. They're ours, they're in the space. And um, from there, of course, we share this beautiful message. Hopefully that resonates and moves people. And then taking that one step further, when you bring people together, you have an opportunity to share in further information. So the way that you, the way that you um, encapsulate the performance. So we do a lot of tabling. We partner with other organizations. We partner with scientists so that as you bring people together, it's an opportunity to educate and to share other material in addition to the moving musical performance. I love it. It's interesting. It makes me think also a little bit of the social justice movement. You know, when we saw a lot of these groups in the 20s out in the streets and groups like the Resistance Revival Chorus who were out, you know, singing because music sort of brought people together and it was sort of, you know, li literally the rallying cry around any causes that you can imagine, I think is, is really fascinating. And it's interesting to imagine that um, in this space as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've given a lot of thought and done done quite a bit of reading on protest movements and how song has been used to mobilize groups. I, I've I've pulled out uh, every once in a while in presentations. I think if the Estonian people can sing their way to independence, certainly we can mobilize our voices. Um, you know, within the the North American you know choral community to bring um, more awareness to what is the greatest crisis for all of humanity. So it's something that I think encompasses all of the incredibly important social justice initiatives. Climate change is the umbrella for all of them because it's going to be the marginalized communities who are hit the hardest and first. And it's it, well, it's already already happening. So I, I think that there's so much work to be done, and I I really believe that the choral community, if we come together and and really live into this topic, I I can foresee some some very fruitful work being done. Yeah, what a great way to give singers and, and musicians an opportunity to feel like they have a voice and they have something, a way that they can contribute to this movement, to this cause where it's like, well, I'm not a scientist. I can't, you know, help uh, change the face of, of climate change, but you know, I can get together and sing and help convey the message and share. And so I guess, I think it probably gives people a, a feeling of control maybe. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I think the scientists have done a lot of the work. 
and they are still doing work looking for solutions, but they've put together the data, they've given us the graphs and the charts. One of the issues is, however, is the translation of that material to a wider audience because scientists aren't necessarily necessarily trained in inspiration, communication, moving people, or even necessarily bringing people together. But in fact, that's what the arts do really well. And that that's part of what is needed now is that half of the equation. We know we know what the numbers say. Um, and you know, journalism can get that information out uh, to some degree, but more work needs to be done, which is an understatement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's kind of like a little microcosm, right? You can't have a, a choral performance without a group of people all coming together with the same uh, end goal in mind. And the same is true for climate change when it comes down to it. Like we need a global effort. Everyone needs to come together. So that's a great. Well, th think global, act local. I mean, what a great way to activate communities that are already engaged, meeting regularly, talking with each other as small communities. I mean, it seems like the perfect opportunity to spread a message. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, and just coming together and having this interview with you or or the the opportunity to participate in the Chorus America conference Um just as an individual, you know, as a, again, I'm a I'm a choral conductor. I'm not a scientist, um, but my life has been changed by this work, and it excites me to see what has transp transpired for myself, and how that could be shared with so many others in the choral community. I think it's it's exciting. Well, Kirsten, let's switch to something a little bit more informal now. This is a section we like to call the Chorister Who. You tell us about the choral leader, choir, composer, singer, or administrator that fills in the blanks for the following questions. And you can spend as much or as little time on each of these as you'd like. They can be rapid fire or you can elaborate on any of them. But maybe you can tell us about the environmental leader who most inspires your work. That is, um, all. I think these questions are, are difficult on one hand. Uh, so I'll do my best to answer. I would say Nancy Tuckman, who is the Dean uh, of the School of Environmental Sustainability at Loyola, um, is a brilliant leader, uh, incredibly intelligent and inspiring. And I would say is in large part responsible for the, the work that I've been doing over these last 10 years in this area. Um, I'm also inspired by the work of John Luther Adams, um, having spent a lot of time studying his music and reading about him, um, that he, um, you know, who has a, a background in environmental activism from another side, um, chose to then devote his work to composition, believing that music um, has this stronger power to communicate. And uh, so I'm inspired not just by his music, but by his writings. Um, so I, I will sometimes just pick up one of his texts or read an interview um, just to renew my own inspiration. How about uh, the choral leader who first inspired you to be involved with choral music? Well, that is actually an easy question to answer because 
um, my dad, Calvin Hedegaard, who was a choral educator and my high school um, choral director. Also, my husband, Andy Lewis, um, uh, was in the choir with my dad years ago. Um, but numerous other musicians who are all over the globe um, doing incredible work in opera and in choral music and as professional singers. And he was one of the um, uh, earliest members of ACDA back in the 60s. So I I attended ACDA conferences with him back when I was in grade school. So wow. that, that, that's an easy, an easy question to answer. And where was that high school? Moline High School in Moline, Illinois. All right. How about the choir and choral leader that most inspires the choral work you do today? Oh, yeah, that that I find I would say it's an amalgamation of four or five people. Um, I was highly influenced by my work with Paul Hillier years ago, and I would say still today, his artistry and his programming, um, I still think is among the finest. And so I I um, I'm always uh I'm always inspired by the work he's doing. Um, I also really appreciate the work that Donald Nally has been doing, especially in the area of commissioning. I can appreciate uh, the, the, the thoughtful work that goes into choosing those composers and, and the projects that he's been doing with The Crossing. Um, and then my um, my mentor from the University of Illinois, where I recently completed my DMA, Andrew McGill, who is a deep um, artist and um, incredible musician. So I, I'm, I'm inspired by his work. And then I would also add two um, colleagues from Chicago, Josephine Lee, who has been the artistic director, uh, well, no longer Chicago Children's Choir, now it's Uniting Voices. Um, I think she does brilliant work with that organization. And um, Julia Davids, who is the director of choral activities at North Park, um, and also the artistic director of the Canadian Chamber Choir. But I think she she does a brilliant job of um, performing historical works, but also bringing new works and conversations to the choral community. So that was a long list, but I couldn't choose just one. I don't think very many of us could choose just one single person. Okay, how about the composer's works or maybe one specific piece that never fails to give you the chills? Yeah, um, well, I will say it might be more of, of a general genre. I'm, I am very easily moved by beautiful Renaissance music, especially the music of Pallas and Victoria, um, Victoria's Requiem, Pallas's Lamentations of Jeremiah. Um, I'm also still and, and always moved when I have performed or listened to David Lang's Little Match Girl Passion. I think it's a beautiful work and the, the, the story is so tragic I'm, I'm always moved by that piece. Um, but maybe above all, I'm moved by um, choirs who 
really sing beautiful phrasing and know how to sustain a chord and take advantage of silence. So, I mean, that's kind of a general, I would say, sometimes it catches me by surprise, maybe in a piece that might not otherwise interest me, but just the way that it's the breath and the silence is used by an ensemble, um, that maybe more than anything is what gives me goosebumps and, and uh, moves me. We sang a piece in ISCSF just a couple of seasons ago that was written by our composer in residence, and it was about it was about rain and wishing for water to come, and because we were suffering from such a terrible drought in California, that was part of his inspiration. But the whole beginning page and the last page was all just breathing. We didn't actually sing anything for a whole page. We just breathed together. We invited our audience to breathe along with us, and it was even more appropriate. Well, appropriate maybe isn't the right word, but regardless, it was very uh, distinctive because we were just, it was like our first concert out of the pandemic. And so all of us breathing together for, felt very like a big momentous moment. So, um, oh, I yeah. I love that idea. You'll have to give me the information for that piece. I'd love to see it. Yeah, yeah that was, was Mike Roberts' Come to Us in Water. We can send you the score too. He's, yeah. Fantastic. He's a Bay Area composer. How about um, the piece of music that you have found most challenging to perform or direct for whatever reason? Yeah. um, You know, again, uh, a couple of pieces come to mind. As a singer, maybe one of the more difficult pieces uh, I've prepared is Louis Andreessen's Odysseus's Women. Uh, which is for four singers, for three sopranos, one alto, and to be performed with dancers. Um, and uh, I performed that some years ago with a Bepi Blankert dance company who are, who are Dutch. Um, and that was just, I remember that being very challenging to prepare and to put together musically. Um, I would say... Um, from the conducting side, uh, I recently uh, conducted the Brahms Requiem, and while not necessarily technically difficult to conduct, to to conduct a performance and to sustain the engagement and the the um, just the right amount of dis- distance from the emotional content and the pacing that it requires from a leadership standpoint, um, I was I was surprised at how difficult that that journey was as we got closer to performance and we're running the piece. Um, uh, and, a, and a, of course, a piece like that also just has so many layers and it always, it seems like there isn't enough time, no matter how much score study you put in, no matter how much time you've spent with your singers, I think it's it's challenging in that way because of the depth and the the to sustain all of that over the course of the work. All right, how about one more? What about maybe a choir that you or a chorus that you have recently discovered whose programming really ex- excites you? Hmm. Well, I would say um, I. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the work that Craig Hella Johnson does with Ponce Ferrari. So that's not necessarily a new discovery, but I might say for me, just 
um, spending more time paying attention to the regular programming that Craig has been doing with Consperare. I'm I'm inspired by the um, just the, the the diversity really of what he's been able to put forth. Um, I'll mention again the the work of my colleague here in Chicago, Julia Davids. Um, I admire the work that she's been doing with the North Shore Coral Society. Again, just a, a large, tra more traditional, um, it's a coral society, um, but the way that she has um, uh, programmed for them over the last three or four years, um, just moving forward repertoire. Um, and... Um, yeah, I, there, there are lots of other um, choirs I admire. I've mentioned some before, the work that Donald's doing with The Crossing, the work that uh, Paul Hillier is doing with Theater of Voices and Ars Nova in Denmark. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really like The Crossing. I've been... I've been listening to a few of their recordings kind of nonstop recently, but Conspirare too. Always been a fan of Conspirare. My old, my, <clears throat> my teacher, Joshua Haberman, um, you know, sang with Conspirare and was a student of Craig's way back in the day at UT Austin. And so we've actually interviewed Craig and he's just the sweetest, sweetest man. It was just such a wonderful conversation. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Conspirare as well. Giacomo, why don't we move on and talk a little bit about um, Kirsten's session? Yes. So, Kirsten, you're leading a session called For the Good of the Earth, Choral Music and Eco-Activism at Chorus America. Can you give us just a little bit of a teaser about what we can expect to learn at your session? Yeah. So since this is a Chorus America convention um, and will um, involve conductors and also administrators, um, we're going to focus on how um, some of these choral works can be a part of programming for a season and ways to engage the community and other organizations in, in interdisciplinary work. Uh, so the, the panel officially will feature three composers who have written large works and performed them and have have um, already led some of this work in their communities. So we have Robert Keir's Earth Ritual, which uh, was performed this past season, speaking of, Consferare. I think they are also um, have been working on a recording over the last few months. Sarah Kirkland Snyder's Mass for the Endangered, um, which I had the pleasure of performing this past summer as a part of our first Eco Voice Festival in Chicago, and Dwight Bigler's Earth Mosaic. Um, and he's done incredible work with the assisting pieces of how that work has played out in the community. We also um, have two additional guests on the panel playing slightly different roles. Um, Jared uh, Impichachaha Tate, as a composer and we've been working on a project together, have applied for several grants, which will be a work called The Radiant Lives of Animals. So we'll talk a little bit about how we are creating that work together and all of the interdisciplinary pieces that will go along with that process. And then Sean Kirshner, who is a friend of mine I've known since I was a teenager, we met at piano camp, 
many years ago. And we've come to find years later that we're both working um, in this area in different ways. So he's been working with a group in Los Angeles called Tempo uh, Music for Climate Action. And so we're going to talk about some of the, the projects we've been working on, which hopefully will be leading to the uh, Eco Voice songbook. And Sean has already written several pieces sort of as foundational experimental songs for that larger scale project. Wow. I don't know about anybody else, but now I'm super excited. <laughs> that was Me exactly too. the teaser we needed to put out there, huh? <laughs> Me too. And we've got, I've got some recommendations for you too, if you need people for that songbook. But it makes <laughs> me think of like Brian Lynn's piece too. It's oh, just yeah. weather. Anyway, some interesting pieces in there. But Oh yeah, we did premiere cool. a piece called It's Just Weather. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Kirsten, what's a, a, a tidbit that probably won't make it into the session, but you wish you didn't have to edit out? Maybe some behind the scenes knowledge. Well, um, when I first created the proposal, I had several more composers on board to participate. Um, and once once the proposal was accepted and we realized that the, the, the time limits and what we might be able to fit into a panel session, um, I had to scale down the size of the group. So, um, but I, I will very briefly mention some other works and include them in my resource document. So Stacy Terra Nostra, which is an incredible work. I actually, I think it was just performed in its new chamber version out in San Francisco, maybe last month. Um, and uh, Jake Grunstad's Earth Symphony, which is another work that's been written in the last few years. So I wish I could have both Stacy and, and Jake with us to, to talk about the work they've done, uh, but minimally I'll be mentioning those works and including them in the resource document. Beautiful. Hey, do you know of a composer named Marielle Jacobsons? That sounds familiar. She wrote a piece for us, for IOCSF, a, quite a while ago now, um, that was called The Threads Beneath, and it was all inspired by you know, the mushroom networks that exist under forests. After that's another score we'll have to send to you just so that you. I, I do, I do have, uh, I've, I've created a, a database. And so I, I keep adding to that. And I have, I have focused primarily on larger works, ex, you know, more extended works, but I also have my octavo list. So one thing I'm hoping as I continue to do this work and, you know, head out to various conferences is to continue to gather just even anecdotally um, new works that I can add to this database. I have to tell you, those resources are tremendously useful. When we chatted with the folks that wrote the Black Voices Matter pledge, one of the things that they constantly heard was like, well, we, we'd love to perform more of this music. We just we just don't know who the people of color are that are composers. And boy, you know, we just we'd love to. And it's like, OK, well, here you go. Here's the list. Here's the resource that has actually all the folks we can think of. Are you planning to publish that repository or put that out there in, in some way? Yeah, I, I've been thinking about ways to get that out there. I think one one thing I might do just to begin is to well, I have a website for the Eco Voice Project, so I might just house it there temporarily. Um, you know I, that your question reminds me of how much work there is to do, and in the most exciting way, but also in in a way overwhelming because. Um, 
yeah, that for instance, having that out there in a way that is useful and um, broadly seen is it's on my list. And I, I hope I hope I can get to it soon because there's some great works on there. And of course, we you know, per this panel, uh, I'm hoping that people will, that there'll be a proliferation of performing these works and commissioning new ones. I see, I see a future season of IOCSF ahead, maybe. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm always looking for good themes. And we did, a, we did a season back in 2015 that was all music that was generally about the earth and about nature and the seasons, but it, it definitely didn't have a, an eco um, theme to it. So we, we, we have room for that in our, in our programming, no doubt. So, Kirsten, is there anything that we can, as Chorus America attendees, uh, do to prepare to be engaged and excited for your session? And who should come? Well, I would argue that this panel is for everyone. And uh, people who are at the conferences, conductors, administrators, singers. But I would also say anybody walking down the sidewalk who wants to participate in an important conversation about ways we can take what we do well and or what brings us joy and find that intersection with climate activism. So I, I, I also think, and I've, I've given some talks to um, groups that aren't all musicians to just explain, you know, this is, this is, these are many, many ways to think about how we can engage. Um, and uh, um, so I would say this is this is for everyone. What was the other part of your question? It was a two part question. Is there anything that we should do to prepare? Um, so I would recommend listening to some of these works. So the panelists are listed um, in, in the Chorus America materials. Um, and if you go to their websites, these pieces are all accessible. So to um, read about the works, to take some time to listen to them, and uh, just to kind of prepare musically for how some of this, what some of this music is, if it might fit for somebody's organization, might work for somebody's chorus. Um, and maybe even just by thinking about what this panel may entail, get curious and um, see what other organizations are doing. Maybe go to the Eco Voice Project uh, website and see some of the work that we've been doing in our first year of existence. Um, so come with ideas, come with questions. Well, we'll definitely do our part to help uh, folks prepare by putting links uh, into our show notes as well that direct either to the Chorus America Conference website or to the recordings themselves. We'll, of course, put in a link to the EcoVoice Project website. And what is that website, Kirsten? EcoVoiceProject.org. Beautiful. Fantastic. Um, is there any other anywhere else online that we should look to find you and your work, Kirsten, besides that website? Well, um, you could visit the Loyola University Department of Fine and Performing Arts. There are some links there, a few performances, some other um, articles about uh, work we've been doing. Um, I would say more recently, I'm housing much of my work on the Eco Voice Project website because so many of my performances are um, 
have been in this area. And so under the news section um, of some of the other outreach we've been doing. Um, and then the Bella Voce website, which is an organization where I'm the outreach coordinator and occasionally the guest artistic director for the Camarada, which is a smaller version of the larger ensemble. Um, and uh, yeah, we have some great concerts coming up, uh, collaboration with the Newberry Consort uh, doing all music of Praetorius. So if you can imagine sack butts and cornettos and lots of lots of wonderful early music instruments. Any opportunity to say the word sack butt, we should all take advantage <laughs> of that. <laughs> well, Kirsten, I think this has been a spectacular conversation. It's so fascinating. I love when we take music and use it as a tool to affect change and to bring people together. And that's obviously what you're doing here. And it's just been inspiring to listen to you chat about it. And I know I'm looking forward to your session at the conference. Same here. Kirsten, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to see you in San Francisco. We are too. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. To finish things off today, we're going to play a very appropriate piece considering the subject matter of Kirsten's session. This is Earth Song, written by Frank Tichelli and performed by the Loyola Chorale and Chamber Choir, along with singers from several campuses of the University of Illinois, all directed by Kirsten Hedegaard. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com. You can follow us on all social media at inunisonpod. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. Scores re-engraved by Chorus Dolores, who knows that a clean score is a sign of an ordered mind. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our transcripts have been diligently edited by IOCSF member and friend of the pod, Fausto Daus. And our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Please be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.